Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Now here's your host, C.W. Hall. Hey, what's up, everyone? C.W. here. Thank you for checking out the Health Connect South Radio show. On this week's episode, Jay Schaefer and I sat down with Paula Dumas. She's the founder and CEO of MigraineAgain.com. As the leading migraine wellness website for patients suffering with migraine headaches, Migraine Again helps patients and their families suffer less and live more until there's a cure found for this challenging and disruptive illness. Migraine Again helps bridge the access to care, bringing evidence-based healthcare content to migraine warriors in 45 countries. Migraine is a genetic neurological disorder that hurts over 1 billion people worldwide, 37 million in the U.S. alone. One out of six women, one in 10 kids, and one in 18 men suffer with migraine headaches. MigraineAgain.com helps spread awareness and increase funding for one of the most disabling and visible disorders on the planet. A lifelong migraine warrior herself experiencing migraines as many as 25 out of 30 days in a month's time while she struggled and juggled through her career as a marketing expert with CNN, Apple, Disney, then shifted gears to devote herself to nonprofit work and health advocacy. Here's Paula talking about what the experience was like as a working professional trying to deal with having these frequent and severe migraine headaches, as well as trying to be productive in her business life. It was very, very difficult. And many people cannot maintain a job. It's estimated that something like 90% of people who have a migraine are operating at a lower level of productivity, presenteeism, it's called, when they show up there. So I generally hit it from everyone that I was working with because it's a highly stigmatized condition. We say migraine has a brand problem. It is not just a bad headache. It's a genetic neurological disorder, multi-symptom. It is perhaps the only, one of the only headache types that you inherit. So it always runs in families, even if you don't know where it came from exactly. And the people who are struggling with it are not just having severe head pain, but they're dealing with photophobia, which is Mm -hmm. light sensitivity, phonophobia, which is sound sensitivity, even allodynia, which is like a kind of pain that and itching. It's like a tactile sensitivity. Your skin hurts almost. Your your nerves are on overload. Clothing tags are not your friend. And Mm -hmm. then the vomiting ensues, Right, right? It actually goes through four phases. It's not so it's not just head pain and then vomiting and nausea are very common neck pain there there are a lot of different symptoms that are part of it and many have heard about the visual aura there are actually two main migraine types a migraine with aura and migraine without aura right and the one with aura which is experienced by about a, a quarter to a third of people they deal with visual disturbances other some other symptoms like olfactory auras where you smell things that aren't actually there you can smell like a bear we, we will be the first people to know that there's smoke coming or a gas leak. Mm. So I'd like to say we're a more evolved species. (laughs) Stick around for the full interview with Paula Dumas of Migraine Again, coming up next. Good morning, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Health Connect South radio show, episode 55. Double nickels, 55. I'm lagged out from a late night trip back from Denver last night. Oh, didn't realize that. I'm all jet lagged. 
Uh, maybe that's one of the triggers we'll be discussing later. Hopefully on. not. <laughs> it is. I'm sorry to tell you. Yeah. Uh, the, fortunately, I haven't had to deal with migraine headaches, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. We've got Paula Dumas from Migraine Again, a resource for folks who are suffering from migraine headaches. Gives them a great place to go to get some good information. As we were talking before we went on the air, the, the information they put out is centered very heavily around available evidence that can support a range of treatments that is available for folks. So, Paula, I appreciate you taking some time to uh, sit in with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Introduce folks to your background, how you managed to go through your career and end up here where you are now advocating so hard for folks dealing with migraine headaches. What's your background? This is my second act, you might say. I, I spent uh, the first part of my career in um, the corporate world in marketing, brand marketing, and have been able to devote um, the past uh, decade or so to uh, nonprofit work and migraine again and being a health advocate. Now, I saw that you spent some time CNN, Apple, Disney. That's where you were doing your marketing work. Correct. Yes. And so did you deal with migraines a, a fair amount yourself through throughout your life and, and really kind of made you think, geez, there's got to be a better way to, to go about sharing information and things like that? You must have become kind of an expert driven by your own experience. Definitely. I think we do a lot of things out of our own experience. Uh, it drives many of our actions. And in my case, yes, I, I did have uh, migraines, first episodic, then mm -hmm. chronic, and uh, now episodic again. So thankfully, mm -hmm. they are much, much better than they used to be. But there was a time in my life when um, I was getting them 25 out of 30 days a wow. month and um, working full time and traveling the world, getting jet lag. Oh, I, I tell yeah. you that that's that's brutal uh, having that frequently. And w when I was talking with you before we went on the air, I was surprised to hear just exactly how frequently it happens across our population. There's a lot of people that deal with migraine headaches. That's true. That's true. Worldwide, the number is about a billion people struggle with migraines. It's it's what we would call a mega niche in business terms, <laughs> something that affects one in four households, women more than men, but children, one in 10 school-age children are either missing school or trying to sit in a classroom. And CW, that's why I mentioned I've been very interested in this topic. Our daughter with maybe 13, 14 years old, she started suffering from migraines and we'll get into the triggers and the lifestyle change, but that she made some changes in what she ate and the things she did to help. When you're dealing with it and trying to work, I mean, how did that affect your work life when they were happening so frequently? It was very, very difficult. And many people cannot maintain a job. It's estimated that something like 90% of people who have a migraine are operating at a lower level of productivity, presenteeism, it's called, when yes. they show up there. So I generally hit it from everyone that I was working with Man. because it's a highly stigmatized condition. We say migraine has a brand problem. It is not just a bad headache. It's yeah. a genetic neurological disorder, multi-symptom. It is perhaps the only one of the only headache types that you inherit. So it always runs in families, even if you don't know where it came from exactly. And the people who are struggling with it are not just having severe head pain, but they're dealing with photophobia, which is mm -hmm. light sensitivity, phonophobia, which is sound sensitivity, even allodynia, which is like a kind of pain that and itching. It's like a tactile sensitivity. Your skin so hurts almost. Your, your nerves are on overload. Clothing tags are not your friend. Mm -hmm. And then the vomiting ensues, right? Yeah. right? It actually goes through four phases. It's not, so it's not just 
head pain. And then vomiting and nausea are very common, neck pain. There, there are a lot of different symptoms that are part of it. And many have heard about the visual aura. There are actually two main migraine types, a migraine with aura and migraine without aura, right? And the one with aura, which is experienced by about a, a quarter to a third of people, they deal with visual disturbances. Other, some other symptoms like olfactory auras, where you smell things that aren't actually there. You can smell like a bear. We will be the first people to know that there's smoke coming or a gas leak. So I'd like to say we're a more evolved species. Now, is that is that a, a case that you have a greater olfactory sense even when you're not having the headache? I mean, or is it amplified during the period when the headache is either approaching or happening? Exactly. It's amplified. All the time. Uh, not all the time, but it's especially amplified when you're in your um, prodrome or which is leading, leading in, up to, yeah, yeah over the headache phase and then the postdrome. Okay. So you really feel it. People who are just experiencing migraine for the first time, they think about the headache phase, but they're actually in the in the prodrome, you can feel and tune in to different characteristics that are occurring, symptoms that are occurring that can help you ward it off before it gets any worse. We call them the early warning signs. Like for years, I never knew that I yawned and I would yawn profusely, I guess, trying to get more oxygen to my brain mm. um, in my prodrome. And my husband figured it out. Interesting. So how long ahead of the actual pain setting in would you have those types of symptoms? It can be a few hours. You talked about potentially being able to thwart the onset or at least mitigate its severity, apparently. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? What do you do, what do you do to treat a migraine truly? I mean, you, you see analgesic medications on, oh, Excedrin migraine. I kind of laugh at that. You look at the ingredients, it's the same as the Excedrin. That's so, true. So what... But they charge more. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? But I mean, what, what can you do from a treatment perspective to actually manage those or, or in, in the case that you talked about, in some cases, maybe help avoid it or at least minimize it to some extent? Well, there's a ton that you can do and only some of which you're going to hear about from your doctor. So one of the big challenges in our healthcare system is that um, you know doctors have a limited amount of time that they can spend with patients. Most patients who are dealing with migraine are seeing a GP, internist, or maybe a neurologist who also deals with a lot of things. But there's a, there are board certified headache specialists that exist in the United States and in some other countries. Um, and these are the people that have, uh, that really understand all the different headache types and how to treat them. And the treatment is different depending upon what you have. So it would be wonderful if everyone could get in to see one of those board certified headache specialists. But there are uh, for every board-certified headache specialist, there's only uh, there are 85,000 migraine patients, not to mention other headache types. So part of why we exist is to help patients uh, suffer less and live more until there's a cure mm -hmm. and figure out how to prevent mm -hmm. so that they don't have to treat the attacks as often. So the whole game is understanding what's going on with your body because migraine is as unique as a fingerprint uh, in each of it, the, each of us, the way it manifests. There are some commonalities, but it is different from person to person. Uh, and then preventing the attacks before they even begin. Because once the attack begins, it is difficult to stop. And it's difficult to stop without um, pharmaceutical options. So uh, we tend to look at treatment in, um, in uh, prevention abortion or uh, or acute treatment and then rescue 
medications. So, and since this is largely self-reported, is there a common vocabulary or terms that the sufferers can use to make sure they're effi- you know, efficiently diagnosing themselves? Perhaps I can answer that question by saying there is a Midas questionnaire that has been developed by mm-hmm. some of the top headache specialists that a doctor can use to determine if if a patient truly has migraine. And migraine is often misdiagnosed. So in um, I've seen studies that say anywhere from um, seven to nine out of 10 cases that are diagnosed as sinus headaches mm-hmm. are actually migraine oh, wow. that are misdiagnosed because a lot of the misperception. Mm-hmm. And there's an article on our website which delineates the difference between a sinus headache and a migraine headache. Talking with President founder, CEO of Migraine Again, Paula Dumas with us in the studio as a migraine sufferer herself, um, over time became basically an expert in the available literature and treatments and how to essentially, in some cases, be able to thwart the onset of a migraine once a person understands that's what they're experiencing and gets a better idea of what type of symptoms they may be experiencing in those early phases. As one is coming on, there's a set of symptoms that's unique to each person that once they are aware of those, they can, in some cases, be able to take some actions to mitigate the the headache, or even in some cases, as you were saying, Paula, possibly even prevent the headache from happening. What do we do when we see those symptoms coming on, either that olfactory hyperactivity, if you will. I'm very sensitive now to a smell. I know something's happening. In your case, you had a a frequent yawning that that one of your family members ultimately noticed, wow, this is happening. Put it together for you to help you understand that was something to pay attention to. So when those symptoms are coming on, what can I do to thwart the headache? Well, if you asked 100 migraine sufferers, experienced savvy warriors, (laughs) they would give you 100 different hacks that they have figured out. So I'll tell you mine, and you can adapt from there. But uh, for example, I would first try to avoid the triggers that I was perceiving. So uh, I have migraine glasses that are coated with a special FL41 tint that uh, will cut out fluorescent lights, for example, if those are bothering me. Uh, If you were wearing some strong cologne, I would probably remove myself from the situation because I wouldn't be able to avoid it in a a closed room. If it was, um, you know, bright light, sunlight or something like that, you can also remove yourself, go into a a quiet, dark place. Too Too much noise can also be just really, really irritating. And then a lot of patients will go into kind of an uh, anti-anxiety routine because anything that happens repetitively, there's a certain amount of anxiety that mm-hmm. builds up and you think, oh, this is going to be bad. Yes. There's what, what are called auto- automatic negative thoughts or ants. This is going to be bad. I'm going to have to uh, go home sick. Right. It's going to be it's going to be ugly. I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss that. I'm going to let this person down. And people go into that cycle. So those who are pretty well trained will get into some, you know, anxiety, anti-anxiety meditation type of of uh, of moves. Um there is uh, then it starts to get very practical with uh, heat or ice. Sometimes heat on the neck or ice on the head um, can can relieve things and abort it. Um, some people will take uh, magnesium at this stage or ginger, which have both been you know proven to be quite effective uh, when administered very early or good preventatives. Just going to a health food store and picking up a 
supplements you would see in the dietary supplements is what you're talking about? Yeah, we have a whole um, section on our website called Eat. And within that, there's a nutrition section and it goes into the doctor doctor recommended supplements that can help um, relieve migraines. Specifically, they are better as... um, is building up your defenses against migraine because migraine uh, sufferers tend to be short on magnesium, for example. Mm. Um, there's a, a certain extract of butterbeer, which has been proven um, to be very, very strong. Uh, fish oil, omega-3, uh, vitamin B12, which uh, Dr. Lipton, I was telling you before, called mm. the great uh, free swing. It's a very inexpensive um, supplement to take. Um, D3. So it varies by person as to what you take, but um, those things can uh, can be part of a good regimen. But back to uh, back to the attack is coming, and what are you going to do uh, to take cover and uh, and keep it from turning into a, a full out uh, tornado? Right. So removing yourself from uh, from trigger exposure, trying to deal with any anxiety that you may be facing about the incoming attack. And taking some uh, some supplements and things that might be able to uh, just generally re- relax. Magnesium is a very relaxing, calming uh, supplement to take. Removing yourself from any stressors that might be uh, physical physical stressors or um, or emotional stressors <laughs> is a good idea. All right. Last week's show we talked yeah. about stress management and talked about um, <laughs> different ways to handle that and. Uh, they're not sure what stress is or how you measure it or how you manage it, but ShareCare had come up with their uh, phone app that you can measure your stress in your voice despite it was unobtrusive. So that was interesting. But uh, yeah, stress, I could see there's a lot of overlap between stress management here and for the migraine. Yeah, sure. It affects your blood pressure a little bit. I don't know if that would come into play at all, but I mean, I know in, in other neurologic syndromes, sometimes the blood pressure can certainly cause some problems there. But um it seems that I, I see the challenge for the individual who's trying to work to do some of these things. I mean, mm-hmm. potentially, you know, when you're talking about having to r- reduce your exposure to light, for example, I mean, if if you respond very well to having the glasses that you've got there, being able to maybe put them on while you're about the office, that might help. But having to remove yourself from light and go to a dark place and and physically remove yourself from odors. I'm sure for certain people, like in certain business settings, uh, that's just got to be very, very difficult, especially when you're experiencing them to the extent that you did as you were really getting into having 25 out of 30 days of dealing with a headache. One of the unfortunate things about migraine is that it tends to be at its worst when people are in their most productive years. So uh, the the bad news, good news is um, for most people, it does get better as you get into your 50s, although I do know migraine sufferers in their 60s and 70s. Most people have the opportunity to a little bit age out of it. And part of it comes from learning what you're dealing with Mm -hmm. and managing it better. And part of it comes from the natural aging process where some of the the triggers like hormones uh, are less of a factor. So when I was probably at my worst was, I'm going to say, when I was with Disney. And I remember distinctly um, trying to work through a, a very demanding day. And we had, you know, a big meeting set up. We were going through rough cut animation on Toy Story with a group of executives. And I, my job was to, you know, basically lead the pr- presentation. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about for you. Sure. Yeah. And uh, and so I'm uh, I'm I'm standing up there on on stage with you know bright lights in my face in a closed room with not a lot of ventilation, and there's 
you know, a lot riding on it. I want to do a great job. And uh, yet I, I can feel this is coming on. I, I feel like crap. I am I am in in agony and I, I know it's it's coming and I don't know how to stop the train. Yeah. So I get up and I do the presentation, my part of the presentation, and then I turn it over to the producer. I go in the bathroom and I throw up. And I throw up and then I clean up my face and I'm thinking I have just enough time. I need to get back out there because uh, he's going to finish in just a minute. Yeah. And uh, and I, I come back in. I finish doing my part. Um, I, I make it through the end of the meeting. I shake everybody's hand and then I go home without an explanation. Again, I, I really didn't tell anybody that I was struggling with it at the time because people tend to, you know, believe that it's not real. Like, she must be making it up. They think, mm-hmm. is this just a really bad headache? What's her problem? Or, or can, nerves or something. Or nerves. Can she not handle the stress? How long did yeah. it take you to, as you were experiencing these, mm-hmm. how long did it take you to determine for you what your triggers were and what were the measures that when you were able to use them would help thwart those headaches and, and or make it at least a little bit more bearable for you? How long did it take you? It seems like, as we were talking about earlier, writing down things leading up to it that you were at least aware of, perhaps over time identifying patterns. But it, you, you mentioned that it took your husband to say, well, I've noticed that before you had a headache, you started yawning a little while before that pretty pretty frequently. How long did it take you to put together for, your, for yourself your own triggers and things that you were doing that would actually bring you some measure of relief? I would say way too long, partly because I was busy partly because it was uh, taking care of myself was not the priority. I kept trying to extinguish the symptoms mm-hmm. as opposed right. to get back to the root cause. And even though I'm a pretty analytical person and and I was pursuing every medical avenue I, I could find, I mean, I would go to... Um, not only, you know, multiple neurologists, but uh, I went to see, um, you know, uh, dentists or chiropractors or optometrists mm-hmm. or, you know, anybody who said that they had uh, a treatment, acupuncture. Mm-hmm. I even went to China to the Institute of Herbal Medicine. Wow. I went to an inpatient headache clinic. And that was really a, a big mm-hmm. turning point for me. I learned a lot then when I spent eight days um, in an inpatient clinic. That said, um, I think that the options available today are much, much better than they were a decade ago when I was really struggling with them um, at my worst, perhaps. Yeah. That's, so, a, that's encouraging, but it sounds like each sufferer has to be a bit detective to right. try and figure yeah. out what's works for what's going on with themselves. You definitely do. You definitely do. And and connecting in a community, in an online community, um, is really, really helpful. I had a migraine buddy years ago um, when I was at Disney, and she and I uh, kind of confided in each other and supported each other uh, when it was really hard to tell who else is struggling with this. It's not as if there's some visible um, visible sign, although I think I can recognize it in people's faces these days. Uh, but, but you know, she and I would go out and talk about how we're craving white food. And we were craving sugar. Mm-hmm. We were craving sugar. And there's a reactive hypoglycemia uh, when you tend to consume carbs and sugar is uh, one of the most common yet hidden migraine triggers. Out so there. you're saying when the, when you did have that rebound hypoglycemic event, that's when your symptoms would start, is what you're saying? It or was, you got, you felt relief? It, it was a player me. in my personal migraine drama. That's okay. all. 
Hey, back then, I can't really tell when it was happening. I just know that we would both have these incredible cravings. I think the first thing that a lot of uh, people suspect is um, our hormones because Mm. uh, women will have a very common pattern. Uh, So there are a handful of common migraine patterns. Uh, One of them is the morning migraine. You wake up and there's no party the night before and you got a monster headache and you didn't have the chance to see any of the symptoms building up because you were asleep and you wake up in terrible pain and you have to call in sick. Very common. Uh, another very common pattern is what's called the um, the letdown vacation or honeymoon headache, right? When you, uh, after you go through a period of extreme uh, stress, physical or emotional, like one time I had a tennis match in the hot Atlanta humidity mm. and I got a monster migraine at the end of it because I, I made it all the way through the tennis match and I mm. think we won, <laughs> But I really lost afterwards because the dehydration, Mm. the humidity, the sun, the whole package was too too much physical stress for me. And that's called the letdown headache. Mm -hmm. The big event headache, people are, you know, terrified that they're going to have a migraine on their wedding day um, (laughs) or they miss their child's birthday or something like that because uh, because it's coming. I had a a big trip to China that I had shifted because of uh, my son's first day of kindergarten. And I woke up with a migraine and had to somehow make it to the airport and get through, you know, customs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those kinds of of patterns that tend to occur that you can can see. And then another very common one, back to the patterns, is the menstrual migraine or the hormonal headache. Every time that, uh, that menstrual cycle comes, there are many women who can't get through it without having a terrible attack that can go on for uh, three or five days at a time. Very challenging. And on top of that, one of our daughter's triggers is change in barometric pressure. So a weather-related, something that's completely outside your control. Exactly. So we divide them into controllable triggers and uncontrollable triggers. (laughs) And we tell people that uh, you really, uh, you know, all of us have a different migraine threshold. Um, And uh, so mine might not be the same as your daughter's. We might Mm be more or less sensitive. Mm -hmm. But and triggers are additive. So when um, your period is coming and there's a big storm coming into town, uh, it's not the time to say, oh, I'll just have a slice of pizza. It'll be fine. The aged cheese and the and the gluten and, you know, the salami, it'll be fine. Sprinkle some MSG on top. Why too. not? Yeah. Just live on the edge. <laughs> Um, so you really, that's, that's where the diaries come in very, very handy is so that you can begin to track those and reveal, reveal things over time. Mm-hmm. So some people, I, I found, uh, using a diary that I, uh, kept getting a migraine every Tuesday afternoon. So what was going on? And I didn't realize that it was Tuesday, Wednesday, mm-hmm. Thursday, some of the most productive days of the week, I mm-hmm. might add. But I had a regular meeting every Tuesday morning. And it was a, a three-hour meeting, uh, a room that had poor ventilation, so not very much fresh air, fluorescent lights. And it happened to be a, a, a meeting in which there were mostly women attending. And women wear perfume. Right. 
and you put and and then I w- was looking at something in front of me and up to the screen and something in front of me and up to the screen. So it was visual strain back and forth. That's all I needed. And you add up those four triggers, a migraine would ensue. So what did I do? I began wearing migraine glasses to that. I shared with the other women there, could you please um, not wear perfume? For me, it's toxic. For me, it's it's a it's a problem. And they respected that once they knew why. Interesting. I was wondering what the response would be because you know how workplace dynamics can be. I, I'm sure in some situations it's like, you think you are asking me to to change that, but mm-hmm. it is tricky, and and. Everybody has to make their own choice there. Some don't want to impose on the yeah. desires of others and the life of others. It really depends how close you are to them. And if if they if you know that they would respond positively, then you can share with them, this is this is a challenge for me. Would you mind? Mm-hmm. Just on Tuesdays. It's a pretty easy thing to to accommodate, I would think. <laughs> yes, although sometimes my, anyway. my beloved yeah. sister forgets when she gets in the car. <laughs> yeah. Th- those all sound like controllable triggers. What are some of the other uncontrollable triggers? You mentioned weather. Um, w- weather is, uh, and, and weather is a variety of factors. So it can, be, uh, it can be bright lights, it can be lightning, it can be uh, fluctuations in barometric pressure, probably the biggie, mm-hmm. thunder. Uh, so it can be a variety of, of different uh, high winds for some people. Really? are problematic. Hmm. Um, and weather is an uncontrollable trigger. Um, we One of our mo- more popular articles was um, one about uh, places to, best places to live for migraine sufferers because you can, you can dodge the storm. And, and that would be Arizona? I well, I, I don't want to give too much credit to California, but yeah, the, <laughs> several of the top uh, top locations for uh, for that are in California, mm-hmm. and part of the reason why too is not just the weather, but it's also the um, the food and the mm-hmm. food consumption patterns and the exposure to migraine triggers. And then there's a huge disparity, and I mean huge, mm-hmm. in um, in access to uh, quality um, migraine treatment. So I mentioned before the um, the board certified headache specialists. I, I'm sorry to report that in Atlanta, where we're taping this right now, a city of what do we have five million people in Atlanta? There's one board certified headache specialist, and he sees children. Now that will change. More and more are getting certified every day, uh, and we're filling the gap with other ways to kind of bridge this access to care issue. But it is um, it is a challenge. Some of the controllable migraine triggers back to your, your point. You can control what you eat. You can control what what you what you breathe or what you're exposed to. You can control some parts of stress. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a toxic relationship and if you're in a highly stressful job and you can't manage the response to that, you can exit those. But some people don't feel like they have those choices, mm-hmm. right? And then the uncontrollable triggers are more like uh, hormones and uh, and weather and um, that type of thing. But we have the, the seven seven biggest triggers listed on our website with all the sub-triggers. Okay. So it's all there. Founder and CEO of Migraine, again, Paula Dumas with us in studio, sharing a lot of great information on how to begin to better understand your situation when you're facing migraine headaches. Talked a little bit about how to differentiate them from other types of headaches. Their website shares some great information along that as well. Paula, when... when we were talking earlier, there's no cure, not a lot of real, you know, medical treatments are out there in terms of ones that are supported robustly by evidence. So talk about some of the 
things that are emerging in terms of treatments that you see that that might be worth mentioning to folks to to look into if they haven't heard about them already? Sure. Well, there uh, there is good reason for patients to have hope. Um, just in the course of my lifetime, the treatments have gotten dramatically better. So there was a time when um, before triptans were introduced, uh, triptans would be things like uh, Imatrex and Relpax and Zomig. There are actually seven different triptans. Before triptans were introduced, um, the best class of drug were called ergotamines to to treat migraine. Um, And those had some side effects like the uh, four miscarriages that I had before I realized that that was actually a problem. So I'm very thankful for um, the biomedical research, which has led us to the point where we do have a good class of drugs. Um, There are patients will say, I have tried everything. And the reality is we've probably tried everything that our doctor has told us about or our friends have told us about. But, you know. I, I'm sad every day for the patients who are struggling and don't know about, I could almost list a hundred treatments. We have an index that, um, that we list of all the different treatments that exist based on the level of efficacy. And efficacy generally means that there's evidence, good quality medical research that over half the patients responded well to that course of therapy uh, within two hours. So there's preventative and then there's abortive treatments. And then there are a whole bunch of things you can do from a lifestyle standpoint that doctors often don't tell you about, but are incredibly helpful, incredibly helpful. And I think the key to getting control. Um, Down the pike, we see some really interesting treatments coming out. So there's there's a lot of uh, buzz about uh, CGRP, uh, monoclonal antibodies. Um, And CGRP are a class of drugs that um, three companies are developing right now, and they say will be available for uh, introduction perhaps as early as next year. And it's a um, a preventative treatment that you take um, three or four times a year where you're it's in uh, phase two or phase three clinical trials right now. Um, But you you get a shot um, three or four times a year, and that prevents the migraine frequency from being as high. It doesn't cure it. It just shuts off some receptors. For 16% of people, which are called super responders in the clinical trials, their migraines went away completely. But again, there's not a ton of of history there, but that looks really, really promising. Um, There's what's called neuromodulation and uh, stimulating the um, occipital and trigeminal nerves, which is a lot where a lot of the migraine activity occurs, um, looks very promising. Um, I use something every day uh, called a cephaly device. And it's basically almost like a TENS unit that looks like a Wonder Woman headband. Um, and it's used uh, preventatively in the United States, but it's used as an abortive mechanism uh, in a slightly different uh, version in the European version. It's just the FDA has not approved it um, for anyone other than, uh, for anything other than um, prevention right now. But every day, 20 minutes on that kind of desensitizes the nerves. Uh, And what I like about it is that it's external. There are some surgeries that can implant um, nerve stimulating devices inside, but of course that's surgery. And if you're not up for that, it's it's not a great idea. Um, There are, uh, there's something called an e-neura spring TMS device that you put on your head when you're um, dealing with it, and it literally sends um, 
electrical signals uh, mm-hmm. through your head. Uh, and that is something that looks promising. Uh on the uh, sort of non-medical front, but psychological front, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy <laughs> has been very promising and has uh, in clinical trials with uh, with children who can't take some of these medications. Um, CBT has, has been very good. It's a, basically a short form of psychotherapy, about um, uh, 10, uh, 10 sessions, I believe, is where it's shown to work. And one reason why it might work better with uh, with children than adults is because uh, adults tend to uh, know the pattern. The brain has been trained to what's going to happen when an attack occurs. And CBT is designed to undo that Mm. and to change the way uh, your response is to whatever stressors or things that you're experiencing. More research is being done into medical marijuana. And uh, I was part of the uh, Migraine World Summit last week that occurred. And uh, there was a doctor from the Cleveland Clinic, which gave, he gave a fascinating um, uh, history on medical marijuana and its potential. But I also know uh, many other leading migraine doctors who think it's hogwash. So the jury's out and, uh, and not much, uh, not much research has been done there, but more funding will be coming to that. Something as basic as um, mint and menthol. Uh, we work with an organization called the Migraine Research Foundation, which is a nonprofit um, mm-hmm. founded by a couple of people whose lives were radically affected by migraine. And um, and they um, give grants to doctors uh, and clinics around the world who are studying uh, ways to treat and prevent migraines. And one of their grants is for uh, a mint and menthol. Is inhaling or eating or... Yes the... and yes. Okay. And uh, there are different ways you can take it. I carry around a, a little um, vial in my uh, in my purse that uh, is, is basically a mix of essential oils. Um, but you can use the inhaled form. You can uh, take it in tea. Um, there's um, a, a couple of new products that are out on the market um, that use uh, mint and menthol as the active ingredient in them. And for, you know, this is this is an f- interesting hack that when you're uh, in the migraine um, community online, people will talk about it and they'll talk about, oh, yes, I use a, when, when my migraines come on and I see it's coming, the train is coming, I'll go get some Vicks VapoRub mm-hmm. and I'll put it on the back of my neck or right mm-hmm. under my nose. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to use brand mm-hmm. names, but uh, there are many other mint and menthol uh, products that are out there. We've got an article on our website about that. Um, So there's not a ton of research around that, but it does work for some people. It's intriguing because when you look at those types, mint and menthol, for example, the the, the rubs that you would use for uh, cold treatment, for example, it's a very strong smell. It's, Uh it's, 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 It's intriguing how some odors can cause a headache, but in this case, something about those particular products and those particular odors that has a relief to it. I mean, when it touches your skin, for example, it's kind Mm -hmm. of cooling. So Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's something in that way that somehow as it relates to those nerves being stimulated. It could also be, uh, you know, we were talking about the um, SPG treatments, which are basically an intranasal Injection. There's a couple different ways to administer yeah, that. Yeah, I saw that they do both. The, there's an anesthetic drip, but then there's some mm-hmm. where they're stimulating it with some minor electrical pulse. So, and you mentioned a couple of the treatments that you were um, talking about as you mentioned some of the studies that some external stimulation that can happen. So perhaps 
maybe that's what this is doing. It's stimulating those nerves in a good way, I guess, perhaps. In a good way, or at least blocking yeah. blocking the migraine mechanism from progressing. Yeah. Like like uh, throwing down, uh, let's say, uh, a couple of railroad ties on the tracks <laughs> to slow the train down yeah. or stop it. Yeah. It just might work. So uh, we, we tend to pull out all the stops. <laughs> we also mentioned before we went on the air the placebo effect. So some of these things, if you say the train's coming, if there's things you can do to stop the train, throw a, a tie on the track or whatever, I think there's... The CBT, when you mentioned that, is an anti-anxiety. It just seems like the train's coming. You need to break the cycle or break the routine. And we tell people that, you know, you're in charge of your health care. You are the CEO of your care. Nobody cares about your migraines as much as you do. Mm-hmm. You might, your doctor and your your uh, massage therapist and your chiropractor and your optometrist, they all care, but they don't care as much as you do. So if you're not driving it and managing it, it's not going to get better. It's not the doctor's job to make you better. It's your job to take care of yourself and leverage the expertise that your doctor has. So if you, uh, there's some interesting research that says that if, if, uh, if you really believe what your doctor's telling you, it can have, uh, it's, it's kind of like turbocharges whatever treatment that you're using. If you really believe it, but if you do not believe it and you mm. doubt it and you don't trust your doctor, the opposite is true. It can undermine an otherwise good treatment. So one of the questions I've waited 40 minutes to ask is what can okay. the father of a sufferer <laughs> or even a coworker, what kinds of things can they do to help a migraine sufferer? Well, above all, believe them. Okay. Believe them and give them the, the benefit of the doubt. Um, if they have been brave enough to say, look, I'm struggling with migraines, they probably are. Now, that's not to say that there aren't a handful of fakers out there. Um, there are, but most migraine sufferers that I have met um, are are fighting a battle um, every month, if not every day. And all they need is for you to believe them. So once you believe them, okay, <laughs> then uh, stop wearing cologne. Okay. Check on that. Yeah. Give give them a neck rub. Okay. Um, basically, support them to get the the help that they need. Support them in the dietary choices that they might have to mm-hmm. make. Um, uh, support them in. Uh, sometimes there are things uh, that my family has had to do to adapt to uh, me. So we took a we took a, a ski trip a, a couple of years ago, and I pretty much spent the entire time uh, indoors because the change in altitude in a very, uh, very short period light, of time yeah. and very bright light. And, um, you know, the uh, airplanes, the travel is is a, another challenging set of triggers because of the dehydration, um, the sound, the uh, the pretzels and peanuts and things that are served, uh, you know, the whole package. It can just be, it can be sometimes too much. That said, I, I am a million miler on Delta, so <laughs> I know of which I, I speak. Um, okay. It doesn't keep me from traveling, but I just mm-hmm. have to be careful about it. So I would say um, support some of the changes and whatever um, treatment that they're pursuing ask them uh ask them uh questions many times it, you know i talked about uh hiding it at work and hiding it socially because you really don't want it to be your identity yeah <laughs> it might be what you're struggling with but it's not your identity there's a lot more to each one of us and i'm sure there's a lot more mm-hmm. to your daughter than mm-hmm. just the fact that she has migraine headaches mm-hmm. right do you have suggestions for what a business might do for people that are working for them that are suffering from migraines? Absolutely. So 
Uh, we talked about uh, presenteeism and absenteeism, and um, part of the economic burden of of migraine has to do with indirect costs. So when people have to call in sick, um, or when they have to try to function because they need the insurance that the job provides, and they're kind of walking wounded on mm-hmm. the job, um, that's only made worse because they don't have support. Um, in the workplace. So uh, the number that's been attached to that is $13 billion in the U.S. alone in terms of the economic burden for migraine. So uh, employers can do a lot. Um, they can create a, um, a safe workplace and remind people that you will not lose your job. Your job is protected if you come out and uh, say that you have migraines. So it is, uh, it is covered by FMLA. You cannot, uh, if you have headaches, um, chronic tension headaches, you cannot get FMLA coverage. But if you have migraine, you can because it's, again, a genetic neurological disorder. And it can, you know, attacks can last for days. So getting getting the kind of treatment that I was able to get in an inpatient headache clinic, um, FMLA will cover that to let people go do that. Uh, there are lots of workplace accommodations. We've got an article on our website that dives into that. Things as simple as um, as moving somebody's uh, workstation or office, if that's uh, if that's possible. <laughs> Um, away from the smelly copy machine, closer to the water fountain so they rem- rem- remember to get hydrated all the time, mm-hmm. give them great ventilation or air purifier in their office, let them, you know, use uh, lamps instead of uh, fluorescent lights, um, encourage them to go out and take breaks, encourage them to uh, to get exercise. Um, many of the doctors I talk to say the co- one of the conundrums, they would recommend exercise to their patients more because there is, again, good evidence that those who exercise regularly um, can build up their defenses against migraine. However, the problem comes in where a lot of people cannot do that because they feel like crap too often. Mm-hmm, right. And uh, it, it's challenging. And then if if they don't deal with that, if they spend too much time on the sofa and then, uh, you know, food choices get compromised you know, obesity is is unfortunately one of the indicators of something progressing, of migraine uh, progressing from episodic to chronic. Mm. So episodic is less than uh, than 14 days a month and chronic is more than 14 days a month. I, I can't imagine. I, I'm, I'm fortunate to not have had to deal with that and, and to have that be so intrusive, you know, that much of your life. That's pretty significant reduction on your quality of life. I mean, what do you think, Paula, with regards to studies that are out there going on? How can we hasten the pace, if you will, broaden the base of, of studies that are available, whatever the case may be? How do we enhance that side of things? Because it sounds like there there's a bit of a lack as it, as it stands right now with regards to treatments and various ways we can go about trying to manage migraines. Well, that's a great question. And one of the things that um, we're trying to do is accelerate the path to a cure. Uh, I believe that a cure is possible in our lifetime. And uh, if it's not, I will I will die trying. Right. <laughs> uh, but part of the way you get to a cure is uh, is by gathering a lot of minds that wouldn't ordinarily be gathered. Right. Getting a lot of disparate um, opinions, what we used to call in Disney parlance, a, a charrette. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, um, and and so what's encouraging to me is seeing all the people who are coming to the um, the the public fight against migraine. Um, each of us doing what we can do. 
So I'm not a doctor. I am not going to be able to sit in a lab and um, and discover some new medicine. Not my job. What can I do? Um, I, I do know how to reach people and how to communicate and get the right information to them uh, from the benefit of my first half career. And uh, and I can help raise awareness about migraine, um, help, help reduce the stigma so people don't feel like they have to hide. Um, so that um, government officials feel uh, like it is more serious than Arctic disease, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is uh, migraines get less funding than Arctic disease, which is pretty sad. And the incidence rate in the population and, and the burden, uh, economic burden is much greater than things like uh, diabetes and asthma put together. Uh, we need to get more funding uh, for more research so that some of the things that are on the questionable but promising list can move over to the proven list. Sure. And people have more uh, weapons in their arsenal against migraine. Uh, and then moving toward a cure, I think, is going to take people of, uh, of every talent. So uh, the, uh, the couple that started uh, the Migraine Research Foundation, uh, you know, she was an attorney and, uh, and he's in finance. Uh, but they are, have invested uh, in that. Um, the couple in 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 Hollywood, for oh, example, that started Wendy Goldberg. Yes, yes. Um, Wendy and the Leonard UCLA. Goldberg, who started the um, the Goldberg migraine program. Uh, their lives were radically uh, touched by by migraine and affected by migraine as well. And then um, there's a, a gentleman in um, in Florida who lost his son um, to suicide from cluster migraines, which are a variation of migraine, which is especially severe. And, and his son was, I believe, something like 23. The uh, And he started the Will Irwin um, Headache Foundation there. So there are a lot of people coming out and bringing what they can to, um, to the fight. And I think with collaboration um, between a lot of the different nonprofit organizations um, and uh, media uh, organizations and online communities like ours. Uh, the technology community can bring a lot to the table here and has and will continue to do so. And, uh, and of course, everybody in healthcare um, has a role to play. So mm-hmm. we're excited about the, the future and, uh, and, and see the end of migraine in, uh, in the next uh, decade or two or three. Are there particular resources, partnerships, collaborations that Migraine Again is hoping to find that might help you better support people that are dealing with migraines? Sure. Well, um, I would be remiss if I didn't put in a shameless plug uh, that we're looking for sponsors for our uh, our website and our online community so that we can keep doing what we're doing and uh, reach more people. We have grown very fast um, since we uh, started the organization about uh, two and a half years ago. Um, and we're now reaching about a million and a half people each month um, around the world and growing at double digit rates. So we want to continue to be able to do that and sponsors um, can help us do that. And because migraine affects so many things in our lives, uh, it's not just pharmaceutical companies that we're, we're interested in partnering with, but um, you know, food companies, uh, anybody involved in, in sleep um, and uh, and we uh, anybody involved in in vitamins and exercise and uh, a variety of things. So there's some good opportunity there. How do, uh, how do they go about sponsoring for you? 
well, they can, um, there's an, in, it, a tab on there called Advertise With Us okay. um, at the bottom. And that just gives a few of the ideas of, of ways that they can um, can partner with us on our website. Yeah, that was a question I was going to ask. Who, what types of organizations are you targeting to be sponsors? So it sounds like it's the health-related, sports, yeah. um, uh, Really, exercise. those, if you look at the content on our web- mm-hmm. website, which is kind of divided into eat, um, breathe, survive, thrive, and engage, those are the content areas that we get into, and uh, and a lot of it is around uh, prevention and lifestyle. Um, mm-hmm. So anybody in the in the exercise space, sleep. Um, four out of five migrainers have serious sleep issues, which becomes a um, a trigger and a relief at the same time. And as I said, supplements are are, are very helpful in um, in avoiding migraines, uh, as is uh, exercise. Anybody in in that space, um, and um, many about half of migrainers struggle with depression. Mm-hmm. So anything that helps with um, with stress relief, um, vacations. Yeah, that's right. The travel category. <laughs> yeah, take a take a staycation and weather. Weather right. surprisingly is is a uh, a major major trigger. So. Uh, we'll call our friends over at the Weather Channel. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and then we're also looking for partnerships in um, in content collaboration. So uh, we have content and expertise that uh, that some of the big um, healthcare um, websites and organizations don't have, and they have some things that we don't have. Mm-hmm. So there's some opportunity there. Um, research we have helped recruit patients for uh, clinical trials. And done um, patient panels because we have a, a, a database of uh, of members in our community who have opted in for that. So we're always happy to help um, the organizations that are doing the research um, to um, to get the support that they need in the universities to get the support that they need. Um, and then we want to be a resource to um, the organizations in our region of the country um, that can leverage uh, our expertise to help retain. The employees that they have, the valuable employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very fortunate that the um, the company that I was working for uh, really bent over backwards to help me uh, and gave me some accommodations in my work to retain me. Uh, and I would love to see a lot of other organizations be as enlightened and as uh, caring and supportive because it's in their best interest, frankly, their bottom line, right. reducing their health care costs, reduce, reducing their turnover rate and um, and retaining the, the valuable talent that they do have who just happen to have migraines. If you or someone that you care about is dealing with migraine headaches or frequent headaches that are severe, you want to make sure that you get to somebody uh, ideally, if if you can, as Paula was describing earlier, if you can get to someone who's board certified in migraine headache management, then that's your best alternative, I believe, from a medical perspective to get evaluated and possibly some treatments recommended. But the website is migraineagain.com. They have a host of uh, articles, great information for you from a variety of directions that can help you hopefully reduce the frequency and severity of the migraine headaches that you're dealing with from diet to uh, a host of other things that you can think about that you might be able to implement to help yourself or your loved one. Uh, they're also on uh, Twitter my, at Migraine Again and also on face, Facebook where you can get more information that they're putting out. As Paula talked about, they're certainly looking for partners who want to help foster this support of these people because as we talked about earlier in the show, many, many people around the country and and globally indeed are dealing with migraine headaches. So if you have information and some resources, you want to be able to support this great support community, 
get linked up with them and sponsor Migraine again. Uh, anything coming up from Health Connect South that we need to get out there? Well, the uh, Nashville event earlier this month, the pictures are up on Facebook. Soon they'll be up on healthconnectsouth.com. Sneak preview, the next event, they're targeting Birmingham, Alabama. So stay tuned. Later this summer, we'll get the details. And again, save the date for September 21st at the Georgia Aquarium for the Big Tent Health Connect South event. Easy caravan over to Birmingham from Atlanta. So hopefully there'll be a good uh, contingency of folks that come from our little villa over here. Should have a good turnout. Yes. (laughs) If you're coming back and listening to the show on the podcast, if you've not done so already, you'll notice on the upper left-hand corner of the show page is the Apple logo. That'll take you over to the iTunes store where the Health Connect South radio show podcast lives. Subscribe to us because then you can get access to great experts as we bring you every week. It'll be downloaded to your device when the new episode comes out, ready for your ride to work. And we hope you turn around and share this information. As you can see, we're talking about things that can affect a lot of people that you care about, both professionally as well as personally. So we'll say thank you in advance for turning around and sharing this information with your connections through social media. And everybody at Health Connect South, Jay Schaefer, my co-host here on the show, uh, Shivani Goswami and uh, Russ LaPerry, of course, want to say thanks so much for helping to make this show available to our our listeners. And then Paula, thanks for taking some time to come out and join us here on the show and share some great information about migraines. It's certainly going to affect a lot of people. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, CW. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for raising our awareness. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> and we look forward to seeing everybody same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. <laughs>